You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Guys don't want to admit that they care about what they wear. A lot of guys don't care about what they wear, and girls too for that matter, I suppose. Um, some people then wear their pajamas to church. Um, and uh, no, I'm proud of these girls. I think it looks awesome. I, I'm jealous and wished I would have wore mine now. Uh, but uh, no, I just uh, think it's awesome. Amen. Uh, I think we should all dress like that for now on. But, uh, but no, I was thinking about being dressed for success. And of course, we, we started talking about this a little bit uh, the other week, but I, but I just started thinking about when I was a kid, you know, whether you got a favorite shirt or, you know, a favorite pair of jeans or a favorite pair of shoes, or maybe, maybe you get a new pair of shoes and you can't wait to wear them or whatever, something, something that just looks good on you, something that just fits. Uh, I know Ronnie's a big fashionista, you know, and so he's, it's kind of how he rolls. Uh, but, uh, but <laughs> when, when I'm talking about being dressed for success, um, I'm thinking about, of course, what the Bible, the Bible's given us an illustration because God tries to give us these pictures so that we can understand some basic spiritual principles in terms that we can relate to every day. And throughout Colossians 3, he's saying, he's saying he said twice to put off the old garments. In verse, chapter 3, verse 8, put off. Chapter 3, verse 9, put off concerning the old nature, the old flesh. And, you know, it's, it's worth reminding ourselves some of the things that he was telling us that need to be put off. And we'll just go through those quickly. He said we need to put off. It's interesting because what we're going to see here, verse 8, is put, put these off. Take this off. This doesn't look good on you. What not to wear? Anger, wrath, malice. And those are three different types of what we would call anger. Uh, so obviously anger is an issue for us. But we need to take it off. We need to put it off. And I'm going to mention in a moment that there is a righteous anger. If, uh, if you're not angry right now, something's wrong with you. But we've got to be angry at the right things uh, and the right, uh, the right motive for our anger. But, but uh, there again, he says, anger, wrath, malice, take that off, take off blasphemy. And of course, we immediately think of blaspheming God, which needless to say, needs to be taken off. But the reference here, speaking to Christians, he's speaking more about defaming other people, putting other people down. Uh, you know, there's, there's two ways to have the biggest building in town. Two ways to have the biggest building in town. Anybody want to guess what they are? Two ways. There you go. One is to knock the others down. And the other one is maybe a little bit more obvious than that. What's another way to have the biggest building in town? Just build one bigger. But, uh, and, and I say that because that's what a lot of people try to do. Rather than be focus on ourselves and try to build up ourselves on our most holy faith, a lot of times we'd rather take more time to tearing people down. You ever see that in school? People want to tear other people down because they want to be bigger. So instead of bettering themselves, instead of growing themselves, they want to tear somebody else down. It can happen in marriages, other relationships that are closer. Uh, but so blasphemy, put off blasphemy, take that off, put, put it off, take it off. So he's going through these different things that we need to take off, that we need to remove, but he uh, goes on filthy communication out of your mouth, not lying one to another. And there again, he says, put off the old man with his deeds, that old nature that we all have. But then he goes on to say, notice in verse number 10, the Bible says, and have put on the new man. So 
We put off the old man. We put on the new man. And remember, this is actually a once and for all action. When you got saved by the grace of God, it's, it's a crazy thing because you don't, re- you may, too many of us just do not realize it, but we have that if you're saved, you have the new man. If you're saved, you have the new nature, which is to say, you have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you. You have, a, you have a part of you that has been transformed, saved by the grace of God. When we're talking about the things that he's going to tell us to put on here in a moment, he's not saying this is things we need to work up. The point is, we already have them. We've put on the new man. That's once and for all. That's when we got saved by the grace of God. But he goes on there in verse number 10 to say, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, the renewed part, that's a daily thing. So you get saved once, and and as soon as you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God moves in, you have the new nature, you have everything you need to live the Christian life. You know, we was referring to some of this in Sunday school on Sunday, but there's people out there, you know, looking for uh, the second blessing, and there's people out there looking like they're, as if they're trying to get more of God than what they currently have. You can't get any more of God than you have. See, the issue is not that you need more of God. You know what the issue really is? God needs more of you and more of me. We have everything we need. But we've got to be renewed, and it, it really is daily. Uh, you know, it reminds me of the, of the priest whenever they, uh, when they ordained the priest to go into the tabernacle or the temple for that matter. When they were for, first ordained priests, they would have to have a ceremonial washing from head to toe, a total cleansing. But after that, they would just have to go to the laver and they would wash their hands and they would have to wash their hands and have to wash their feet. So they didn't have to get clean all over every time, but there was some maintenance every day from getting our hands dirty from the things we touch, getting our feet dirty from the places we go. Put on, though, he says, the new man. Notice verse number 12. The Bible says, put on, therefore. So there again, put on, therefore. And then look down in verse number 14. And above all these things, put on charity. So three times, do you think he's trying to emphasize something here? Put off, put this is just a few verses. Take these off, take it off. Uh, you know, what, what, what would you do if you, you know, you had, uh, uh, you had uh, uh, something on you and you, you realized that it, that it was diseased, you know, or you realized that it had some terrible plague on it or something like that? We would rip it off. We probably wouldn't really care what too many people thought about us if we thought we had something on us that was deadly or dangerous. We'd probably rip it off. But I'm t- and that's how we need to do with the old nature. The old, and, and we're talking about putting on and putting off. We're talking about these old habits. But we need to put on uh, Christ. We need to put on these other things. So let's read all these together, starting in verse number 11. Uh, I'm sorry, let's start in verse number 10. And the Bible says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, uh, Scythian, Scythian, sorry, bond nor free, but Christ is all and all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, 
forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And uh, we'll stop right there as we speak about being dressed for success. We have received new life in Christ once. So if you're saved, you've received new life. But then on a daily basis, He wants us to reproduce that new life. He wants that new life to come through us. We've received that new life. We need to reproduce this new life. And so... Uh, as we think about being dressed for success, first of all, we're going to look, look a little bit about the character of what this is that we should be wearing. Uh, to start with, what we're going to find out is when it comes to putting these things on, the good thing is, is there's no exclusions. There's no exclusions. And that's what the Bible goes on to say here. Notice what it said there again in verse number 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, and it goes on through. So, the character of this new man, I'm going to give you Galatians 3, verses 27 through 28, because it's a similar reference, it just includes male and female. For as many of you has, as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus." Now, I will hasten to say there are people who try to use these verses to say that, see there, it doesn't matter uh, if you know, men and women are exactly the same, and we are in Christ. But at the same time, we understand that in, in life and in practice, there's still distinction between male and female, is there not? Uh, and I know there's some that would disagree with that, uh, but uh, the Bible, number one, is, uh, is, is on the right side, and so is science, of course. But, but nevertheless, the point is, God has broken down the difference. He's broken down, number one, the difference of country. He says Greek nor Jew. So no matter who you are, you can wear this. In other words, where you're from, whatever your background is, whatever your nationality is, doesn't mean there, there's, there's no more advantage from the Greek to the Jew. Now, from our standpoint, uh, I, I've said this before, uh, man, we've got, a, we've got a wonderful country, do we not? There is no country I'd let, rather live in. I love America, and you know I love America. And, uh, and I believe that America is an exceptional country, and that's what helps us and enables us to be a blessing to countries around the world. Uh, but wait, may we not get pr proud in thinking that we are, as American Christians, somehow we're much better off. You know, we're, we're in a higher position, we're in a higher bracket uh, because we are uh, Americans. And, and that's, that's not the case at all. There's the, the, your country doesn't matter. But uh, you, you think about what, what, what he's trying to teach us here is that Jew or Greek. And so it doesn't matter what your religious background is. You're, uh, the, the Christ has replaced Moses. Christianity has replaced Judaism. And the new covenant has replaced the old covenant. Uh, notice if, we, if you will just go back with me a, a few pages. You have to go through Philippians uh, back to your left to get over to Ephesians chapter number 2. But I just want to emphasize this. I know for most of us, we don't get caught up too much on 
Jew and Greek, you know, we understand that. But it's still worth understanding that how much big of a distinction this was, and there's parallels to our day. But uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 16, the Bible says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Notice verse 12 that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Anybody uh, remember what that middle wall of partition is referencing there? There was actually a, there was literally a wall uh, where when, the, when, when Gentiles, Gentiles could come in a sense and worship at the temple, but they could only go so far. And there was a wall that separated. And if you, uh, many of us in our chronological reading, we're in the book of Acts. Uh, pretty soon we're going to find out one of the things that Paul was accused of was taking a Gentile past that middle wall. And that's one of the things that he's getting in trouble for, even though he did not do that. But there was a wall, that there was literally a wall that kept you out if you were a Gentile. But Christ has tore that down. Uh, and so there's no advantage to being a Jew as far as in Christ is concerned. Uh, notice verse number 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Uh, and so basically we see the fact that God has brought uh, man together. National differences no longer count. Salvation is offered uh, to the Jew and Gentile on the same terms. In the eyes of God, there's no particular advantage to being a Jew. Now, we understand that earthly Jews still have promises pertaining in the, 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 the land and all that as far as the, the nation of Israel is concerned. But in Christ, for, for, for Jews that have become Christians, they're not on higher ground than a Gentile that's a Christian. We're on even ground in Christ. No particular advantage. It doesn't matter what country you were born in, what your ethnicity is, um, uh, as far as spiritually speaking is concerned. God has abolished uh, the differences between country. But not only that, but also in creed. It goes on to say, notice verse number 11 with me again, where there is neither Jew or Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, which is another way of speaking about the Jewish part. But the part is, is God has abolished all difference of creed. The point is just simply this, that it doesn't, religious rite and ritual do not matter. There's, I mean, there's no, uh, somebody says, well, man, I have kept uh, all these, you know, I, I think about people maybe that have been saved for a long time. Uh, listen, being saved and having the knowledge of God and growing in Christ, that doesn't make you any uh, better than somebody that's a brand new Christian that doesn't have a clue, right? I mean, we're, we're all on even ground. And so uh, there is no advantage to any creed or ritual because they've all been abolished anyway. Christianity is not centered in creeds, but in Christ. It is not centered in a series of propositions, but in a glorious living person. What you find with a lot of people, a lot of people are just flat out religious. Now, I understand in certain terms we're obviously religious people. We're sitting in a church tonight. I mean, we fit the category 
But what I mean is that for some people, all they know is ritual. And there's people that, well, what rituals do y'all do there? Or, 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 you know, there's people that identify us by the fact that we do not observe certain rituals. Therefore, they think that we're somewhere in a bad place. So as ritual or in right. In, uh, there's some people that have all these, this whole list of things that they, that they believe and agree on. But man, listen, let me tell you something right now. In Christ, you know what matters? Knowing Christ, being saved. It's about a person, amen? And so all creed has been abolished uh, in Jesus Christ. God has abolished all cultural differences. Cultural differences. Notice what the Bible goes on to say. Barbarian or Scythian. Barbarian or Scythian. Okay, so the barbarians, uh, the, the sophisticated and cultured Greeks and Romans regarded barbarians as uncouth, and educated boars. The word is derived from the Greeks making fun of the way non-Greeks spoke. And it basically indicated that they were idiots. So the barbarian literally was the Greeks are so high and sophisticated and wise and knowledgeable. Here comes this person that doesn't speak Greek and to them they sound like ba 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 ba. Therefore, barbarian. And since they don't talk like us, and since they've got an accent, and since they look different, since they're from the South, they must be an idiot. Don't say amen on that one. Uh, you know, but, but I've told you before, if I was going to get offended over something, uh, Ralph... Do you not have to have a little bit of thick skin to be a southerner? Number one, you've got to have a little bit of thick skin, and you've got to be able to take, not take yourself very seriously. You, you, you mark this down. If you haven't noticed it before, there'll be, a, there'll be a movie that's based in the middle of Montana. And if you've got some dumb, dumb country bumpkin, it might be based in New England. You've got some dumb country bumpkin... Guess what he talks like? And I'm sitting watching, I'm like, they're in the middle of Montana. People don't, but, but, but we're wanting to convey that this person's an idiot. So what better way to do that than to make them talk Southern, right? Uh, okay, I'm off my hobby horse now. Uh, uh, but but, but I'll I tell you, you look into this. I'm back on my hobby horse. I didn't jump off for long, Kurt. Uh, you look into this. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is, is that much of our southern talk uh, comes from the old country. In fact, there's still things that we say today and phrases and terms uh, and words. It's not just that we say them funny. We say them the way that they were said in the Canterbury Tales, for instance. Um, it's a very interesting thing. That's why sometimes if you'll listen to a person with a southern accent and a person with a, uh, you know, whether it's an Irish accent or maybe a British accent, you'll start seeing some similarities in there. But regardless of that, back off the hobby horse, uh, the point is they, the Greeks basically, kids, they had a mean girl tactic. That if you weren't Greek, you were a barbarian. Uh, and they would just slap, make fun of you. You don't measure up. You're, 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 uh, you're a barbarian. Now, a Scythian was regarded as the lowest of the barbarians. The word suggests savagery. They were, even, they were even a lower class of barbarian. 
uh, also believed uh, oftentimes to be slaves. They were the lower class of the non-Greeks. Um, and, and I've just got to say right here, man, I'm telling you, it's a shame when people think because of the color of your skin or your background or what country you're from or something like that, those type of divisions do not belong in a New Testament church. They just do not. Uh, the cultures may be different, but folks, we've got something in common, and it's Christ. Amen? And so, uh, so as we speak, so, so the culture. Um, uh, so in Christ, I love this, in Christ, the brilliant Greek doctor sits together with a common street vendor. In Christ, a wealthy surgeon has fellowship with a common laborer. These cultural differences are abolished in Christ. What's more, the laborer may become a more brilliant man in the scriptures than a famous engineer or a brilliant uh, you know, architect or whatever the case may be. It's just this common person. And, and the cool thing is that guy might even become the pastor, right? Uh, I, I love one of the things that, uh, I, I love studying early American history and some of the revivals that took place. And uh, George Whitfield, uh, George Whitfield, man, he was a man that loved souls, uh, loved Christ, wanted to see people saved. Um, the odd thing is, is uh, when you find out that he represented, if I remember correctly, I say I love history, then it skips my mind when I'm up here, the Church of England. Is that right, Kirk? Uh but here's the thing about it. The funny thing is, he was not, George Whitfield didn't jive exactly with the Church of England, but he was so popular and awesome, you know, there wasn't much they could do about it. But George Whitfield, man, he would get so frustrated. And this is one of the things that happened in, in the Great Awakening that took place in the United States. The first and perhaps the second Great Awakening that took place uh, is George Whitfield, he actually, one of the things he actually said is all of my... Uh, Basically, all of my Protestant uh, gooses have become Baptist chickens. Um, because what was happening in the Great Awakening is there were people getting saved and God would call these men to preach. The problem was some of these men were just farmers or miners or whatever else. And God would call them to preach. And so guess what they did when God called them to preach? They preached. Amen. That, that, does, that, does that add up to you? That don't add up to a lot of religious people, by the way. And it's, sadly, that's, going, that's even crept into Baptist churches now. Oh, you got to go to four years, you know, at this certain Bible college before, you, before it's official. Man, you can lump that all day. Amen? you got to be called by God to be official. Amen? And I don't care what they say. And I'm telling you right now, I would not pass a... You may want me to take a homiletic class at some of these Bible colleges. But I've looked at some of these. You know what I thought about, man? I, I, I sat through just a little bit of what a homiletic class would be like in some of these Bible colleges. I did go through a homiletic class in Bible college. But the good thing about my Bible college is they, they still believed in individuality. They believed in personality. They, they believed that God called you because he didn't call you to be somebody else. All right? And I'm sitting there in this, and I'm thinking, man, if I'd have had to go through this class in Bible college where they're telling you exactly the way you have to study or you will not pass, the exactly way that you have to deliver your sermon, I'm talking about Baptist Bible colleges, the exact way to deliver your sermon or you will not pass that class, 
You want to know something? If, 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 if I had that mentality, I probably would have started thinking to myself, maybe I'm not called to preach after all. Because I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> but hallelujah, I'm glad I didn't get called by a Bible college. Amen. I'm glad I got called by God. And I don't need the approval of a Bible college. Amen. And I don't need the approval of Dr. Smellfungus. I mean, what I'm just simply trying to say is that does it matter? It's one of my favorite things about church. I got saved by the grace of God, and I told you, you know, by, by the world standards, I would have just been considered poor white trash with not much to offer. I walked into that church, and I got the sense right away that I belonged. And yes, there were doctors in that church, and yes, there were uh, other, you know, different professionals and different people with maybe a certain level of wealth and different things of that nature but then there was also just common everyday workers and there were uh, you know uh, poor retired folks and disabled folks and everything else and it was just cool because it's like man we all kind of belong here we all love one another I mean, you know, and it doesn't matter. I mean, I may not have been talking about what, you know, you know, dressing for success. I may not have actually been dressed for success as far as what I would be wearing. Uh, uh, but, but I'll tell you one thing. Man, I walked in there and I found out what we could really wear because that church reflected uh, the love of Christ. Amen. And I believe this church does the same thing. But it's one, of my fa I, it's one of the things that really strikes me about a true New Testament church. These things don't matter. And it kind of goes along with the next one, and i got to get there quickly. My word. Um, God has abolished all differences in class. These kind of go together, I, so I won't, I won't dwell on this one because I kind of basically preached it. The Bible says bond or free. So there again, whether it was a person that was a slave, and believe me, in the Roman Empire, uh, slaves were treated as property, as they often are in, in most uh, cultures, I suppose. But slaves were just lower than the low. Now, if you go study, if you remember, the, the book of Philemon is a sister book with Colossians. It's believed that Philemon's son was potentially the pastor, but he was definitely a leader within the church at Colossae. So the book of Philemon, all right? You go read that book, and it's real easy to think. I don't know if, I hate to admit that I've wondered this before. Maybe I'm not. But have you ever read and wondered and read Philemon like, so why God put this in here? It's just a short few verses, and it's talking about, hey, there's this Onesimus, he was an escaped slave. Uh, he, he escaped, but he, he got saved under my ministry. I'm sending him back to you, and I want you to treat him like a brother, and I want you to receive him like you would receive me, and I want you to receive him the way Christ received you. And you're thinking, okie dokie then, that's great. But folks, that, the book of Philemon, was a revol revolutionary book. You know why? That's unheard of. This wealthy man is now to welcome his slave home as a brother? That's not even heard of. So it's a powerful thing, but that's what he's saying here. Neither bond nor free. Uh, you think about Matthew. Matthew, the former publican, and Simeon, the zealot, shared a common bond in Christ. Uh, I like that. Th these are two people on total opposite ends of the political spectrum. Now, believe me, I believe in, in, in the political world, there are some things that I do not understand how, uh, I don't understand how, how Christians could be registered in certain ways. I'll just say that. Um, but you know what? I'm not about having that fight. 
And, 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 and that, that's where we don't bring in, we, we have, you know, within the church, we may have some people that are more uh, conservative. We may have some people that are uh, more libertarian. You may have people that are still Democrat, whatever the thing is. And somebody said, let me know who they are, preacher, and I'll take care of them, you know. Uh, no, I mean, they may just still be registered that way. And uh, whatever the case may be, and, and believe me, uh, if, if, you're, if you're voting in favor of abortion, uh, against marriage, things of this nature, man, uh, I'd love to have a talk with you about what the Bible says as a Christian uh, to you as far as the way you're voting, okay? Uh, I'm not telling you how to vote, but I'm telling you as a Christian, we've gotta, we, we ought to be voting according to the Word of God. But the point is this, that these aren't generally some of the things I just mentioned matter, but in, in, the, in the bigger realm of things, uh, there's a lot of these things that don't matter. Matthew and uh, Simon sharing a bond in Christ. Men of brilliant in intellect and high social position are not thereby given special status in the church. You ever known churches like that? You know, oh, this man's got a position. This, this man's a, a big politician. Hey, do you want to serve on the board of such and such? But it'd be good to get him on the board. Uh, well, it's like that, that you're... Praise God for social achievements and everything, and it's not taken away from that, but you don't come into church and that mean anything as far as in Christ. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Uh, amen, and thank God. Uh, men barely literate by this world's standards may become giants of the faith and mighty in the Scriptures, movers of men and movers of mountains. I love the example of D.L. Moody. I preached about D.L. Moody on Sunday or used him as an example. Uh, D.L. Moody, as I told you, I read his biography a number of years ago, and they, just, they had excerpts of him, uh, things that he had written and things that he preached. And he, like me, tried to become, you know, made, made efforts to become more educated. But, uh, but he still had major uh, grammatical issues. And unlike me, he didn't have, you know, spell check and, uh, and he didn't have Melanie uh, to say, Jesse, that is all kinds of wrong, you know. But you got D.L. Moody. The point is, is he was barely, he was, he was a barely literate shoe salesman. But a man by the name of R.A. Torrey, he was a graduate of Yale University and Yale Divinity School. By the way, kids, did you know this? That every Ivy League and, and the oldest universities in this country were brought up for the purpose of training preachers to preach the gospel? Um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think that today, but it's true. Uh, but he, but, but Yale, he, he was a graduate of Yale University, Yale Divinity School, but, but he became the first president of Moody Bible Institute. So when D.L. Moody started Bible College, R.A. Torrey becomes the president. It was a good choice. These two guys were best friends. Uh, it didn't matter that one was, was brilliant and one was not, you know, as far as educational and, and IQ-wise, but these men had a heart for God. And so it, it didn't discount R.A. Torrey that he was brilliant. You know, we, we wouldn't want to give that impression, would we? You know, that if somebody is successful, oh, well, you're discounted because there are some people that want to go there. You know, no, we're on, in Christ, we're, uh, we're equal. We're on equal footing uh, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, I want to just quickly try to, try to run through these, these things that he, he mentions here uh, and we'll, uh, we'll get out of here, all right? Uh, let, let's look, uh, number one, at what he says uh, has, as he continues on here. 
When he says in verse number 12, put on, therefore, what do we need to put on? As the elect of God, we've been chosen and predestined by God to be conformed to the image of Christ. Holy, we've been set apart by Christ. Beloved, what does he say? Put on bowels of mercy. Now, we would say today, I love you with all of my heart. Now, what if I told you, kids, that the Greeks, they used the intestines and gut to refer to how much they loved you? I love you with all my guts. All right? They didn't say it exactly like that. But that's why the Bible says here, the bowels of mercy. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The bowels of mercy. You know, I hear, I hear your stomach growling. Honey, does that mean you love me? Uh, you know, well, it means you love me if you get up and fix me a sandwich or something, right? Uh, but, uh, but no, but, but really, we could laugh at that being what the Greeks thought, but is it, any, is it any less silly than believing it actually comes from our hearts? Right? I'm just breaking it to you. Our physical heart does not produce <laughs> feelings of love and emotion and everything, okay? But they, they, they use the term bowels the way we would use heart. Uh, the bowels of mercy. Um, or the bowels, and the bowels of compassion here that it speaks of. Bowels of mercies, bowels of compassion. And what it just simply means is having a, a love. We need to, to display tender love and compassion one toward another. We need, to put on, we need to put on bowels of mercy. We need to put on, number two, kindness. Kindness. Um, be kind. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 32, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We need to be kind. And by the way, kindness speaks of grace. We don't, we're not just kind to people because they deserve to be, you know, they've earned it. Kindness and grace, as a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, you'll read the word kindness a lot, and it's just about interchangeable with the word grace. The way David showed kindness to the house of Saul by bringing Mephibosheth into his house. Be kind. Uh, number, th- number three, put on a humble mind. See, the pagan world of Paul's day did not admire humility. Instead, they admired pride and domination. Kind of sounds similar to the, today, doesn't it? They did not honor humility. Um, And so again, remember, humility is not thinking poorly of oneself. Humility is not, everybody look and listen to me. I'm so poor. You're not listening. I'm so poor and pitiful. See me? Look how bad I am. Look how pitiful. See, See me, see me, see me. I'm just terrible. And I'm so humble. We're not humble. We're self centered. We're still just bringing ourselves. That's not humility. So humility is not thinking poorly of ourselves. Humility obviously isn't thinking too much of ourselves. But humility is just being sober-minded about who we are. It's just about knowing who we are in Christ. It's not false and a fake humility that people try to put on. It's about not thinking about ourselves at all. It's about having a proper estimation of oneself. Uh, The person with humbleness of mind thinks of others first and not himself. Number four, he says, put on meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Uh, Meekness, this is a word that was used for a soothing wind or a healing medicine or a colt that had been broken. In each instance, there's power. Think about it. Wind, medicine, and a colt. A wind can become a storm. Too much medicine can kill, and a horse can break loose and hurt someone or kill someone. But 
This is power under control. The meek person does not have to fly off the handle. All right? Meekness is having control. All right? Uh, Put on long-suffering. This word literally means long-tempered. Anybody want to guess what the opposite of being long-tempered is? <laughs> there he sits right there. I, 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 oh, you're supposed to have a picture of Kurt come up there. We'll, we'll fix that next time, but I'm, I'm teasing. No, uh, listen, uh, no, honestly, uh, short-tempered. But in Christ, put on long-temperedness. Have a long fuse. Amen? And, uh, all right, uh, the, the short-tempered person speaks and acts impulsively and lacks self-control. When a person is long-suffering, he can put up with provoking people or circumstances without re- retaliating. It is, good to, it is good to be able to get angry. I said that earlier. Being able to get angry is a sign of holy character. But it's wrong to get angry quickly and at the wrong things and for the wrong reasons. If I'm getting angry about myself being wronged and, and me, 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 there's a problem there. If I'm getting mad at, you know, uh, you know people that are uh, you know, murderers and, and, and hurting people, and if I'm getting mad at the, uh, you know, the, the, the infanticide in- industry, uh, well, those are some things that we can be angry about, all right? Uh, put on forbearance. He goes on to say forbearing one another. Forbearing literally means to hold up or to hold back. Um, God is forbearing towards sinners. He holds back his judgment. So forbearing, basically it means this person may deserve judgment, but I'm going to forbear. Forbearing one another. Uh, Then it goes on to say forgiving one another, putting on forgiveness. Uh, We need to put on forgiveness, not retaliating. Um, We've got to, you know why we've got to forgive each other? Because we all mess up. You know, we've got to forbear one another because sometimes we deserve, uh, you know, re- maybe some retaliation. We've got to forgive one another. Um, man, I-, I need your forgiveness as a pastor. Uh, I am going to mess up. And I know some of you do not believe that. And I'm teasing because if you know me anytime, I-, I-, I will. I'm going to. I'm going to, I'm going to say something that I shouldn't say. I'm going, to, I'm going to do something or that I shouldn't do. I'm going to not do something that I ought to do. And I need your forgiveness. And, 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 I, and, and you need my forgiveness oftentimes. It is Christ-like to forgive. And uh, then he says, lastly, we need to put on love. Verse 14, above all these things, above all, it's love that holds it all together. Now remember, these aren't things that you've got to work up. Believe it or not, you already have all this power right within you. I was thinking about this, and you can help me with this thought tonight. But I was thinking about how that we know that the, old, the purpose of the law we talk about was a mirror to show us our shortcomings, show us how that we come short of the, the glory of God, show us, you know, you look at a mirror and you don't get cleaned up. In the, a mirror doesn't clean you. A mirror shows you that you need to find a way to get clean. But I began to think about it another way. This whole thing started by saying the way we're renewed, you have all this power within you. But the Bible says that happened as soon as you got saved. You've got it. Do you believe that? Is it hard for you to believe that you have forbearance? Is it hard for you to believe that you've got the power to forgive? Is it hard for you to believe that you've got the ability to be meek? This might be, but it's in you. It's in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's in you in the new man. But the way we renew it is through knowledge. So I started thinking about it this way. We need to start looking into the mirror of God's word 
for who it says we are. Because we, we, don't, we don't have a proper estimate of ourselves. We do not have the proper estimate of ourselves. We look at the old man and forget that God has given us the new man. This is all within us. But it's going to have to be renewed through knowledge. Get a hold of the Word of God. What are you going to believe? Get in there and believe. You, get in there and say, Lord, these verses say that I have this in me, Lord, but I don't see it. And I know others around me don't see it. But Lord, you said it's there. And so God, I need you to help me to start putting this on. I'm going to take off the, these old garments. I'm going to put on these new garments. I'm going to start putting on the bowels of compassion. And they're going to be held together with love. So that's, that's how we dress for success. We gotta, uh, we, we're, we're all dressed up with somewhere to go, amen? Uh, but but you've got you to gotta put it on. It's right there. It's in your wardrobe. Just put it on. Just put it on, all right? Well, let's all stand and we'll be dismissed. I thank you so much for being here tonight and for your patience. Those that have stood up here, they know how fast this time goes when you're up here. I've also sat where you're sat, and I noticed it goes a little slower. Okay. Uh, but, uh, man, it goes by quick when you're up here. But, uh, but thank you tonight for that. And uh, I believe we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Danny if he would dismiss us.